You're listening to Death of the Reader. Flex and Herds here for your Murder Mystery World Tour. Just a few weeks ago, we were graced with the release, the first release, in the Dark Deeds Down Under anthology series, put together by Clandestine Press, edited by Craig Sisterson, and the series is and promises to continue being a wonderful amalgamation of some Australian and New Zealand crime fiction both up-and-coming and well-respected voices. In that spirit, we're joined by Lindy Cameron from Clandestine Press, Craig Sisterson, and one of the many featured authors in the series, Vanda Simon. It is wonderful to have you all. Welcome to Death of the Reader. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Felix. Yeah, Kieran, g'day, everyone. Lovely to be here. <laughs> g'day. Lindy, let's start with you. An author who will go unnamed told us that you're often the nexus for many of the wonderful collaborations we've seen come our way from the local crime fiction community. What's so important to you about bringing these authors all together for things like Dark Deeds Down Under? I'm a crime fiction writer myself, uh, so I love it. I'm a, a founding member and current vice president of Sisters in Crime Australia, uh, and we've been going for 31 years, so there's that. Uh, and also as a publisher, um, I began publishing um, crime fiction, and because I know so many authors, start off with mostly we I know lots of guy authors as well, but most of the women that I know, uh, crime writers I know are women. And so I I thought, well, let's do an anthology, but I wanted a good balance with the crime fiction. And so I turned to the one person I knew who knew more about men, the male writers, than I did, and that was Craig. <laughs> so, um, and I, I just love having a combination. I've done um, a couple of collections, uh, anthologies in the last two years, um, and we've got more coming up and, and their, their crime, their um, woo-woo, their horror and crime, uh, but this one is straight out detective, mystery, thriller, fiction. I'd like to see a bit more of that horror crime in there. I, I enjoy the the odd horror movie myself, and it's always good to see a, a good blend of the two. Uh, well, that's a, out, that's Clandestine's next anthology. It's called it's it's Ooh. out in a couple of months, and it's called Damnation Games. That sounds really cool. It also uh, features Australian and Kiwi and some other international authors as well. Just about. Lindy said there, though, Ben, there is actually some kind of horror crime in this anthology. We have uh, Dan Rabatz and Lee Murray, who've won multiple Bram Stoker awards for their horror and speculative writing, and they've written a new story based on their Paths of Ra series, which is a near-future speculative noir series set in Auckland, New Zealand. So, so we do have a little bit of horror crime because we want to showcase the breadth and depth from cosy to serial killers from rural to city and from all across our two wonderful countries, past and mm. present. Yeah, it's really cool. Now, Vanda, uh, Craig was mentioning to us when this was released that a, a big part of the anthology is bringing both standalone and series stories together. Sam Shepard has had a delightful resurgence with recent international publishings of your work, um, and it was delightful to see her back in the action on a murder case with an unusually fuzzy exterior. Um, why was an animal shelter the right setting for Sam's return? Uh, that is such a good question. Sometimes as a writer, you get totally inspired for an idea by conversations with friends over coffee. And in this instance, it was actually a conversation with a friend over coffee and porridge because it was one of those breakfast get-togethers. And I'd mentioned that um, I was challenged to write a short story and set in Dunedin, and it was going to be a Sam Shepard one. We were talking about um, 
her daughter, actually, who was a volunteer at the local SPCA. And it was that that just kind of triggered off for me some ideas about, now, wouldn't it be quite fun to have something nefarious happening at the SPCA? Because, I mean, I've sullied so many other places around Dunedin. I thought I may as well <laughs> sully the SPCA as well. You know, you got to go all out. Go big or go home. Mm. Do you want of your friend's daughter, maybe you you kind of are imagining what it would be like if she was a horrible killer using the, the cover of the animal shelter to, to do these horrible things? Is that kind of like the curiosity there? Or I liked the idea that a lot of the um, animal shelters and places that like that have lots of volunteers and that people often think of volunteers as, you know, being lovely, kind-hearted people. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be cool uh, no, just using that idea of something at the animal shelter, if actually one of them might have done something pretty bad. <laughs> I, I will say without uh, without spoiling the actual ending, I did love the way that you took advantage of that bit of the tone to wrap up the story in a very blunt but self-explanatory way. It was exquisite. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Now, Craig, you've been given a pretty monumental task here by Lindy in bringing together an enormous array it's a lot to list back to back, but listeners of the show would be familiar with Aoife Clifford, Solari Gentle, RWR McDonald, Danuka McKenzie. How does it feel to finally have one issue out in the wild, or is the pressure not really over with two more on the way? It feels really good, Felix. It was a bit of a dream come true project when Lindy kind of gave me the call last year, and, and I immediately that weekend got on video chats with a whole lot of Australian and New Zealand crime writers that I thought I would love to have involved and everyone was so supportive. Like every single person was super supportive and I was expecting, you know, lots of people to say they couldn't be part of it because they were busy with family and other projects or they didn't like short stories, didn't write short stories. But all, um, we got so many yeses <laughs> that I was, I did, I only got like a quarter of the way down my dream list, which is why one of the reasons why we're doing multiple uh, <laughs> multiple anthologies which is great for everyone but no it's it's really terrific to have it out there um for me here in london i've got a box of books that's been delivered which is lovely it doesn't feel entirely real yet you know um it, it will when i you know some people start sharing some photos of having it in their hands or people start talking about it a little bit more but i'm going to the harrogate festival here in the uk tomorrow the fix an old peculiar crime writing festival I'll be taking a few copies along. There's a couple of Aussies and Kiwis who are going to appear on stage, Michael Bennett in the Styles, D.V. Bishop and some others. They may be getting arm-twisted to be involved in some future issues. In fact, uh, Michael's daughter, um, Michael's daughter Mahina, is actually the Indigenous artist, the Maori artist who's created the remarkable Indigenous artwork of the, um, the Kiwi that's throughout our book. We also have some brilliant Aboriginal artwork from Chantel Walsh, who's a Noongar artist from Western Australia as well. I did like I did like the way that you use those to kind of say where everyone was from without actually explicitly stating it. That was quite cute. Yeah. <laughs> I thought we needed a, a way of describing where everyone was from, particularly as someone like Alan Carter, who I I don't know why I thought he was actually a Kiwi, and it turns out he's a POM who's lived <laughs> in New Zealand and now lives in Australia. So when I was laying out the book and I had the, I gave him the boat, I gave him both um, of the um, uh, icons that we've got with the kiwi larger and the platypus underneath. And then I realised that he's actually English originally. So I had to reduce both and then sort of pale them out a bit to say, okay, he's from both. <laughs> 
And Rob McDonald, RWI McDonald, of course, Rob now is a Kiwi who now lives in in uh, Melbourne. So I had to do the same for him—a Kiwi, a big Greek Kiwi, and a little platypus. And- I mean, Rob, Rob's from Rob's from Dunedin, isn't he? Is he running away from being slandered in one of your books, Vanda? <laughs> <laughs> wow, <laughs> not quite. No, he, he he's from um, a little further south in a very small rural area, um, sort of um, around Balclutha, around that area. So, oh, there you go. Uh, although he does venture up to. Uh, um, out for for drinks whenever he is in Dunedin with with the local crime writers. He, he heads from slightly further south, so he can distance himself from the the <laughs> den of iniquity and pain and that is Dunedin. You. And hide from me here, pretty much. <laughs> what, sorry, one of the things that that surprised me most of all about um, putting this collection together when Craig and I drew up our original wish list was um, how how many of the authors said yes to giving us a, a story with their series character. I thought some of them might say, well, no, I'll have to get permission from my publisher and, you know, all that sort of stuff. And they all just said yes. Um, and so I hope their publisher, publishers aren't going to come on and go, hey, you. <laughs> What's I didn't even think to ask. <laughs> <laughs> well, they're your characters, so you should be allowed to do whatever you want. <laughs> but I, I was surprised that they were, that that all of the, all of the writers with series characters were happy to do it. Um, and hence, you know, that's it's volume two and three is it will have um, other authors with series characters in it as well. I'm very curious to see whether Robert Gott goes for a new story or which of his other series he'll pick from, because either way is chaos. <laughs> I just want his old clumsy detective back. He was one of my favorite detectives of all time. The man who kept he kept falling out of the bed getting covered in blood. It was fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> I had to twist Robert's arm, actually, to to, mm. to get him to say yes. Uh, he said, no, I don't write short stories, Lindy. And I said, well, Solari's giving me one. And he said, oh, all right then. <laughs> well, great so you remember that unnamed author that we mentioned in the introduction. <laughs> I will now name Robert Gott. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I, I have to say, of- as an author, it was really, really fun being able to bring out the series character in a short story. I mean, this is the first time that I'd really um, written a short story of this nature and yeah it was an absolute fabulous opportunity to have a little fun in a slightly different environment but bring out all their characteristics and quirks and trying to slam something like that into 5,000 words as opposed to 80. Yeah. It was a nice challenge. Well, I wanted to ask that there must be some order to this chaos. Now, Lydia and Craig, when we spoke with Vasim Khan about the perfect crime collection earlier this year, he said that the prompt that he gave to authors was write the story that you've always wanted to write. But what prompts do you think kind of shine the most in this anthology that you put forward? I think a few people, a few of the standalone people who went, just went, woohoo, I'm just going to write whatever I want, which is great. And we've got some really good stories amongst those. But the series character people, I I think they were really like Vanda. You know, it was some of them have written short stories before, like Kerry Green was written short stories before. Um, and we've got a Corinna Chapman story for, from her. She's quite, you know, adept at writing short. Um, and she's got so many ideas. It's just, you know, there's, there's not enough time in the day for her ideas. And I think some of the other authors were, were exactly like Vanda, whether they write them or don't write them, um, having a chance to take their, their series character and give them an, an afternoon outing almost, you know, instead of a, a full-on novel. Um, I wonder so if some of the other sources as terrified as I was that I'd write this short story and that I'd hand it to you guys and you'd look at it and go, that's nice. <laughs> How about we try that again? <laughs> 
Well, it is quite an art. I mean, clearly it's an art form to be able to write short stories. The first one I ever wrote, someone asked me to write one and it ended up being 15,000 words. So it took me a long time to be able to hone mine down to a good five. Mind you, it got published in an anthology of, of short stories, so twice. So uh, I suppose a, a good story is a good story, whether it um, comes out at five or 15. <laughs> yeah. Now, I suppose, Vanda, there was an article that I read last year about the next full-length Sam Shepard novel and how the wonderful team over at Arenda Books in the UK have asked you to bring more of New Zealand to the series mm. Since beginning the series in, I think, 2007, though correct me if I'm wrong, how enormous has the change been in the appetite for Antipodian crime fiction that actually feels Antipodian? I think it's huge. Um, One of the things I think that publishers 10, 15 years ago really, really underestimated was the reader's desire to live vicariously and experience other countries through literature. And it is such a big thing. Back then, things like the Scandinavian fiction suddenly became really big. And part of the appeal to that was because it had such a strong sense of place, such a strong sense of identity for the nation. And so you felt like you were learning something about a country and it was distinct. It wasn't just like homogenous. So when um, my publisher Karen of the Render Books turned around and said, Vanda, make it more Kiwi. That was the most wonderful words I'd ever heard because when I first initially wrote the books, I was told to dial back the Kiwi, dial it back because international readers would not want that. And I'm like, I don't think so. Now, international readers, all readers, they they want to find or feel where where the book is at, feel how it's placed because that, of course, um, influences the characters. And, and a sense of place is one of the most important things in crime fiction. It doesn't matter where the place is. Mm. And I always used to joke that I, I would be able to, back in the 80s, God help me, a joke that I could go to Chicago and I would be able to navigate my way around the streets of Chicago simply by having read Sarah Paretsky's novels. And I hope that people can could navigate themselves around Melbourne by reading my three O'Malley PI novels, although some people did come up to me a bit miffed once because they'd gone looking for a park that I'd, mentioned they wanted to walk their dog there and I said I'm really sorry I made that park up everything else around it is real <laughs> brings a whole new element to tourism doesn't it yeah. it does Ooh, let's go let's go find where the bodies were dumped I did I did yeah. have a bit of a laugh when we covered Solari's latest the woman in the library on the show I sent a couple of copies to some friends who lived in Boston Massachusetts where it's set and kind of they were going around showing me all of the places they thought it was loosely based on because everything's kind of been renamed which was such a treat Now, uh, Craig, the first time we spoke with you about Southern Cross Crime on the show, we discussed something similar about the doors opening for international writers writing about their homes. But it feels to me like even in the past two years since that conversation, the world of local flavored crime fiction keeps opening even wider. Is that just because I'm reading more crime fiction or do you think that trend is still on the up? I think the trend's still on the up. We can see it across the board. I mean, it's wonderful where in the wake of Jane Harper's The Dry and the success of that, um, we always had great Australian New Zealand crime writers before Jane decided to write a crime novel, but it definitely opened up the world's eyes. I think it opened up international readers and international publishers' eyes a wee bit to what Vanda, exactly what she was saying, that readers have always wanted this, but there was a, a misperception amongst publishing that, you know, you should make it all UK and US and that's what people wanted because of what they were used to and things. So it's a bit more universal. They, they were looking for universality when I think you can be very 
specific locality telling stories that have universal themes but with very specific characters and settings and i think that's a beautiful balance but we're seeing you know there's much more japanese crime fiction being translated there's more latin american crime fiction being translated we're seeing some wonderful stories coming out of africa i mean femi coyote's the uh, light seekers last year was an amazing book and recently my sister the serial killer by Ayukan braithwaite as well uh, south african crime fiction I definitely feel that it's massively improved. We're seeing more Indigenous storytellers coming through. I'm very pleased we have um, Maori and Aboriginal storytellers in this as well as artists, and hopefully we'll be able to have more in the coming issues as well. You know, we're seeing Lakota author David Eskawombly-Wyden, you know, kind of doing hopefully for Native American crime fiction what Jane's done for Australian and what the glass and Henning Mankell did for Scandi Noir of just opening people's eyes to it and then realizing there are other great authors out there, but publishers start publishing them more. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely in, you know, going along to overseas festivals like Harrogate this week and Bloody Scotland later in the year, keeping an eye on the other ones happening in the States and elsewhere. It definitely seems to be improving and moving. Speaking of Indigenous crime writers, that's actually a call from Michael Bennett, the Maori storyteller, who is. Uh, First crime novel, Better the Blood, sorry, I'll have to get back to Michael after this, is uh, coming out in August. And, and that just goes to show that's that's a first of its kind. That's a Maori writer writing a Maori detective. And it's been picked up by a massive British publisher and it's already sold into eight translations before it's even come out. So I think that's just kind of indicative of the world opening up to the voices that we perhaps haven't seen as much of before both in terms of minority voices, for want of a better phrase, but also in terms of regional voices. So. But if we think seeing the, um, the the rolling effect that we've seen ever since, you know, the dry came out, and my, my sister, she's a teacher, she has never picked up a murder mystery or really any complicated book in her life, but I heard that she was teaching the dry in one of her classes. She picked it out as an example of, you know, Australian, you know, cultural novels that need to be read. And I thought, oh, that's, that's really bizarre. I didn't think you would be into that genre at all, but it's the the cultural impact that that novel has had, and as you know, that all these other authors are having now is is it's really amazing. It's fantastic, Ben, and I just want to add here because the likes of Dennis Lehane and Ian Rankin and many others over the years have talked about crime fiction being the modern social novel, and it's kind of taken that place because crime stories can take people everywhere, and the best written stuff is all about character and place and deep issues, as well as a page-turning compelling story that keeps you turning the pages so you can learn all that without it being kind of shouted from the rooftops. And I think that's the wonderful thing about crime fiction. And, and yeah, so absolutely books like The Dry give us a sense of culture and place and people. Um, I've used Razor Black Te- Razor Blade Tears by S.A. Cosby in a, a discussion about, you know, character and form and setting and things like that. And many of the stories in this book from many amazing Australian and New Zealand writers give you a really good sense of um, the people and the place. Mm-hmm. So. I think that identity, that sense of identity is so important. Now, Lindy, it seems to me that this proverbial door has opened in, in another way. Um, with writers like Danuka McKenzie writing stories that are deeply personal to their experiences and their identity with The Torrent, uh, which we featured on the show uh, earlier this year, I believe. And you feature a prequel to The Torrent in this collection. Um, how instrumental is collaboration in breaking down those barriers? I mean, we, we as Craig said earlier, we really, really wanted to have, um, I'm not going to call them minority voices at all because, because they're just voices that we haven't discovered yet. Uh, and there's more and more of them, people like... Um, uh, Indigenous writers and people like Danuka with her um, uh, subcontinent background, 
um, and the Indigenous writers that we've got, the Maori writers that we've got in um, from New Zealand as well in this collection. And uh, the collaboration, getting having her write a prequel was, I think, a really good idea for her because her, you know, her, de- her debut novel comes out with that character. Um, I had no idea where she's at writing the sequel to that, but because she hasn't written book two of that yet, to her it just seemed natural to go back rather than forward because whatever she wrote as a short story might just get caught up in and wouldn't ha- which she wouldn't know where to place it in the timeline of of her next book. So that was a really good I- I- idea for that. Um, Natalie Conyer is going to be doing the same thing in uh, in for volume two. Uh, her first crime novel, which won the debut Ned Kelly Award a couple of years ago, that was set in South Africa. Natalie is a South African born, but she's lived in Australia forever. Um, and she, uh, I, she was sort of working on uh, on a sequel to that, and then decided that she's she wants to start a new complete new series here in a, set in Sydney, here in Australia, uh, with a young cop. But that's not finished yet. So what she has done for this thing is again give us a prequel to that novel so that the short story that she's given us doesn't get in the way of the novel. So that sort of collaboration is is really good for the authors. I think it gives them a chance to, um, in, in a sense, um, think about where their character has come from in order to work out where they're going next in the, in the next yeah. novel that they write. I am really curious about the Duke McKenzie's uh, prequel story, origin story, um, because she seems to not mess around with her story premises. You know, the first novel, The Torrent, is set a week a week before her protagonist gives birth to a child, and it sounded <laughs> like the sequel is when that child is kidnapped. So, like, it's pretty it's pretty focused in terms of the premise of the stories. We're focused on this child and the effect that it has on this police detective, right? So, what what room does the prequel have? I don't expect anyone to be able to answer this, but like, what, what, what event are we going to focus on for the prequel? Conception? Is that where we're going? Is that what's going to happen? I have no idea. I'm excited to find out. Well, without giving a spoiler, there's a line near the end of her story, which um, could seem like a throwaway line, but if you've, and in fact, uh, and Lindy asked me about it in the editing process. <laughs> um, but it's actually very vital, like anyone who's read The Torrent will pick up on the importance of this rather casual kind of text. Oh, yeah, I was, I was going to say it's the text, isn't it? Yeah. A text that happens near the end of the story. But the story is very much, I think, also gives, uh, touches some of the same themes about how, you know, Detective K. Miles feels about herself and what her place in society being kind of a mixed race. And and the story in, in kind of a kaleidoscopic way with a few different events kind of really gives us more of an understanding of that of where she is when it comes to the novel which is clearly at least a couple if not a few years later yeah for sure for sure yeah i think one thing that's kind of interesting to me talking about danuka is like vanda for sam as a character where she has had an androgynous name that numerous times throughout the novels you've kind of poked on the fact that people assume a man is going to walk into the room when you say detective sam shepherd and Danuka has kind of gone the complete opposite direction where it's Detective Kate Miles, who is pregnant in the main novel. How has that changed, I think, for authors over the past years where now we're able to tell stories about, like, women's lives rather than just women writing stories that happen to be told by them? As Vice President of Sisters in Crime Australia, and we've been dealing with crime writers who are only women and most of whom write stories with female protagonists, it's not a new thing. Uh, and the the detectives, the cops, 
uh, the accidental sleuths have been all of those things uh, for 30 years. Um, and also um, Citizen Crime Australia also runs a short story competition called the Scarlet Stiletto Awards every year. And oddly, we have, it's like there's something in the water every year and we get swathes of story, like out of 150 stories, 150 to 200 entries every year, there's always a theme each year. And one year and one year alone, we had um, stories that featured mothers and babies, like the mothers turned sleuth with the baby in the stroller or it was a baby monitor that overheard something in someone else's thing. Or, But there was about five or six stories in that year alone and we've never had them in any other year. So uh, the whole, you know, pregnant pregnant um, detective thing, it's not new, of course, because it was, you know, in Fargo, that's probably the most famous um, pregnant detective uh, in in the history of pregnant detectives. Um, but it, so it's not a new thing. But it is really nice to see that uh, women aren't just confined to being a, a male, uh, being a female version of a male detective, um, and just doing exactly the same things that they would do. But the but the evolution of of crime fiction, women's crime fiction in Australia has has not actually allowed that to happen anyway the the sheer variety of the female sleuths and detectives in the last 30 years has has been everything from you know f- fabulous Franny Fisher to um lesbian detectives to cops who have got alcohol problems to mothers who don't so it's a it's not a new thing but it's um fabulous I also think it just wonderfully reflects the complexities of life for people. I mean, most of us in the real world are juggling children and jobs and other things. So why shouldn't our characters be juggling children's and jobs and interesting relationships and tense relationships with parents and interesting relationships with partners, whoever they may be? So real world is relatable. And uh, I've I've seen a number of authors, Vanda, who I think have recently related to the struggle of trying to get a PhD done alongside the the <laughs> latest full length. <laughs> Fools! <laughs> I know I know about six crime writers in the past two years that have done their their latest book as part of a creative PhD, and I thought, oh, maybe I should go and join them, and then the, the, the sheer. Um, terror of actually, you know, having to complete something like that um, was just really scared me off. So, but it's quite <laughs> extraordinary how many crime writers are now doctors of something. <laughs> yep, <laughs> it's, 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 it does sound nice though, Doctor Vander Simon. It doesn't adjust. <laughs> Now, I suppose, Craig, to to close this out, we've mentioned a few times that there's going to be more issues of Dark Deeds Down Under, one due this November and another in 2023. We've mentioned a few bits and pieces like Natalie Conya writing a prequel, Robert Gott being involved in one of the other. Is there, is there anything that you can tell us that you probably shouldn't about the upcoming books? Well, as um, I mean, it's public knowledge now because it's out there on the websites and that is that one of the one of the we're trying to do a lot of cool things in each anthology, bring together some amazing authors. And I think it's really a showcase, a treasure trove. So there's so many treasures to find. But one particularly cool thing in the first um anthology which is out now is that it has the first uh, kind of Shane Maloney story in a very very long time so um, that's pretty amazing and so we're hoping to have a few little surprises like that in coming anthologies um, stories from some great authors who perhaps have uh, not been kind of as active in recent years uh, we've got 
yeah, some really cool stories coming up. I can say that you know we've we've got great stories from the likes of Emma Viskic and Helen Fitzgerald and Charity Norman, uh, Jack Heath um, and Ben Hobson uh, have all provided stories. So there's some really exciting kind of voices, and yeah, we we're in discussions with some publishers of uh, some authors who are no longer with us to perhaps potentially be able to include a story or two of some legendary figures from Australian and New Zealand crime writing, including some that, you know, have perhaps been queens of crime and things like that. <laughs> there you go. I'd just like to acknowledge uh, Lindy's immense restraint in not pulling the uh, chakram that she showed us before the interview out when I asked that question. <laughs> He's probably clutching it. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> a lot to look forward to, I can promise you that. And, but yeah, get this one first, read through it. And then stick it on your shelf and get ready for book two, because that's going to be a cracker as well. So. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you all for joining us here on Death of the Reader. It has been an absolute treat having you all on. And we'll, of course, have links up on the podcast to all of the involved work that we've mentioned in this discussion. Thank you for having us. Thanks, yeah, Felix. Thanks. thanks, Ben. Yeah. Thanks for being on. <laughs> You're listening to Death of the Reader here on 2SER 107.3.